Sława everyone, uh, Sława Bogom and welcome in the 23rd episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul. Before I forget, my name is Magda Lewandowska and, uh, and I am your forgetful uh, presenter of Searching for the Slavic Soul, uh, which is a podcast by Vitya. Also, I, I, I keep meaning to mention it, but I forget that too. Uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, this podcast is available on, I think, all podcast platforms, uh, including YouTube. So wherever you listen, listening to today, you can you know, go somewhere else and listen to my Polish accent somewhere else too. Uh, so that is all the stuff <laughs> I keep forgetting. And uh, now to the stuff I want to talk about uh, which is rituals and celebrations or like holy days in Slavic native faith. Uh, the, the reason I will be talking about this uh, today is uh, because, you know, because Slavic faith is becoming more and more popular uh, in not Slavic countries among people who uh, did not grow up in Slavic culture and don't have much of understanding uh, of how Slavic native faith, so to speak, works. Uh, when we were start starting the Vitya project in, I think, 2015 or something like that, uh, it kind of seemed obvious to, to us that uh, only Slavic people will be interested in following Slavic native faith. And um, to be perfectly honest, I did not think that talking about um, holidays uh, or calendar of rituals would be would be necessary or even needed uh, but as the time went on um, I kind of started to realize that things that might be obvious to a person brought up in Slavic culture they actually not might not have be necessarily obvious to um, followers of Slavic native faith in, let's say, you know, um, USA, the States or Canada. So um, I decided to do a bit of like, you know, continue with the Rodnoveri 101, 101 series and address the basics like, for example, today, uh, the basic regular celebrations or holidays in Slavic native faith. Um, so without further ado, let's go. regular uh, recurring celebrations or holidays in Slavic native faith uh, are of two types. Uh, type one are the celebrations related to the yearly cycle of the nature and sun and the other type are the celebrations related to the like, recurring events in uh, life of the followers of Slavic native faith. So the first type of celebrations would be, for example, Kupawa or Szczodregody, um, or the and the other and the second type would be the so-called like initiation rituals, like all sorts of rituals performed uh, to celebrate the birth of a person, which is in a way initiation into being alive. Uh, or the zapleciny and postrzeżyny, so the rituals, um, the initiation rituals um, performed on like young person uh, to like officially enter this person into the community. Uh, also, you know, it would be rituals related to getting married or to dying as well because of, uh, might not be so obvious to some of you. Uh, and if it's, if it's obvious, please don't think I'm like, you know, patronizing you or uh, pretending to be super smart because I'm, I'm not. I, I'm kind of um, slowly becoming more and more aware that many of modern Slavic pagans really don't know what they don't know. So I am barely like I'm trying to cover as much of the basic, basic stuff that, uh, you know, I assume everyone knows, but it might not be that obvious. So 
yeah I'm trying to cover as much of the basic stuff as I only can think of uh, so um, from what I can see many of modern Slavic pagans don't realize that dying is not really an end to life in the framework of Slavic pagan life philosophy uh, being alive is not the only state in which a Slavic pagan can exist. Uh, in Slavic pagan way of looking at the concept of uh, existing, uh, dying is barely a different way of being. Uh, so the, the funeral rites are also a sort of initiation ritual. It's, um, it's like symbolizing and allowing a person a member of a family and community to pass to a different plane of being, to Navia, from where one continues to be a member of own family and community and continues having the same responsibilities towards that family and community. I mean, not the same. So, when you are dead Slavic pagan, you still have to do your best to support your family or community, and that's the main responsibility. Um, the only thing that changes is the ways in which you can do it. Uh, when you're dead, obviously, you cannot provide for your family in a material way, like through, through getting food on the table or ensuring a roof over the heads. But you've got other ways to contribute. For example, you can use your supernatural connections to ensure fertility of the land or to get some benevolent demons to support your family or community. And, you know, doing all of that is still in your best interest when you're dead because um, if your family is doing great, they will have plenty of time, energy, food and drinks to entertain you and feed you during the times of Jade, so the Slavic rituals of uh, venerations of veneration of the ancestors. Uh, anyway, funeral rites are considered an initiation ritual too, but I'm not going to talk about initiation rituals today. Today I want to focus on the type one celebrations, so all the celebrations related to the regular changes in the nature, the, the yearly cycle in the case of today's episode of the sun. Uh, so the main four of these celebrations are, no surprise here, the celebrations of um, the solstices and equinoxes. And pretty much every variant of Slavic tradition, so the East and West and South uh, Slavic traditions, they have either the same or similar ways of celebrating these. Uh, the summer solstice is the best example here. Pretty much all over the Slavdom on or around the summer solstice, bonfires are started, people dance around them and wreaths are woven from flowers and herbs, skinny dipping in rivers or lakes uh, on the night of the summer solstice is also very popular in Slavic tradition, although I'm not sure if it's like a, a pan-Slavic tradition or just a common or widespread one. Uh, so um, basically we've got bonfires, we've got dancing around bonfires, we've got jumping over bonfires and sometimes dancing with fires, like with a torch lit from a bonfire and that is for example done in Serbia. Uh, we've got uh, reeds which are either thrown in the water, often as a like a type of fortune telling, or um, Wreaths can be put on the heads or, or horns of cattle uh, in order to protect these animals from diseases, I suppose, or like malevolent, malevolent demons. Um, as far as the symbolism of or meaning of the Slavic summer solstice traditions, uh, it's actually hard to say something for sure. The main reason why it's hard to say something for sure is um, because of the influences of Christ Christianity uh, that resulted in the 
original pagan traditions being mixed up or even moved around to either get rid of them or to uh, incorporate them into the Christian holidays. Uh, so, for example, in the case of Kupawa, sorry, um, my Western paganism is coming out here because I hope all of you know Kupawa is the modern name of the Slavic pagan celebrations around the summer solstice. Uh, actually, Kupawa is more of an Eastern Slavic name that was incorporated into the nomenclature of modern Rodnoveri as a whole. Uh, and the more of an qualifier I use here on purpose, uh, because the origin of the word Kupawa, it's not entirely clear. I mean, there is an agreement among scholars researching Slavic pagan culture that the the name comes from a Proto-Slavic kopa, which meant uh, a heap or a mound, like in a like an accumulation of elements in one place. From this one, this noun, the Proto-Slavic kopa, we have Polish words like, for example, skupić, which means to gather round or more like figuratively. Uh, to concentrate or focus like your attention or something. So uh, anyway, the, the, there is an agreement that this is where the name Kupawa came from, but as far as I know, it's not clear whether this is actually the original name of the pre-Christian pagan celebrations of summer solstice or it's a name that was made up by Christians to try to accommodate the pagan Slavic traditions. Because one thing that we know is that Christians try to do that. So, um, so for example, because skinny dipping was part of the original pagan tradition, uh, Christians try to tie it with um, Christianing and invented a holiday of uh, John the Baptist, who obviously, because he was the Baptist, he christened people uh, by submerging them into water. So Christian missionaries came up with the idea of the pagan tradition of skinny dipping being like the reconstruction of the christening and started calling this holiday Kupawa, claiming it's from Kompach, which is like a Polish word, but it's similar in Russian and other Slavic languages, which is basically to uh, swim or to take a bath. Uh, by the way, this is how the idea of a made-up god, Slavic god Kupawa developed. Uh, but this is a different story. And for the sake, sake of staying focused, which I'm determined to do today, uh, I'm not going to go there. Uh, so I was um, I was talking about I was talking about Christian influences on Slavic pagan celebrations of summer solstice. Uh, Christian missionaries are actually not only missionaries, priests as well, uh, and also what we would call today like activists. <laughs> so just people obsessed with an idea and dedicating their whole life to it. Um, in the case of uh, I am discussing here, the idea was to eradicate the original Slavic paganism, which was very deeply rooted system of beliefs among early medieval um, Slavs. Uh, so eradicating it was not an easy thing to do. Uh, obviously, the Christian concepts of suffering and self-deprivation, it was uh, totally foreign to Slavic pagans, so it could not really be easily imposed on them. Um, this is why the Christian activists had to come up with uh, various strategies to wiggle in, so to speak, into the pagan stuff, and then step by step either get rid of the pagan tradition or make it Christian. Uh, like superimposing Christian meaning on the originally pagan traditions was one of such strategies. 
uh, another one was making the pagan tradition fit in better into the Christian one, which in case of celebration of summer solstice, uh, it was done by attempting to move this celebration to a more appropriate from a Christian point of view, of course, to more appropriate time of the year, which in this case would be moving the joyful and uh, let's call it like celebrating life traditions closer to the pretty much only one <laughs> joyful Christian holidays. So to Easter and following it Pentecost. The Christian Pentecost is a period of 50 days after Easter Sunday, uh, which Easter Sunday is believed to be the day when Jesus Christ resurrected or was resurrected. I'm actually not sure how it's seen from a point of view of Christian theology. Um, to be honest, I can't believe I actually know what Pentecost is. So as far as Christian theology goes, it, I'm better than, than expected anyway. Uh, yeah, so Pentecost is a very joyful time for Christians. And in medieval ages, Christians were trying to push some of the joyful Slavic tradition there too, to the period of the Pentecost. And that kind of confused a lot of things as far as summer solstice go, because some of the elements of the celebration of uh, summer solstice are seen around the time of the Christian Pentecost. And that's confusing because it is pretty much impossible to say what's the real deal and what's the knockoff, the made up stuff. Uh, this is why after uh, yet another <laughs> lengthy introduction, I can finally explain why I will not be talking in like strict detail here about what to do and how exactly celebrate the Slavic holidays as a modern Rodnover, because it is impossible to say what are the original elements and what is either moved or superimposed by the Christians. So I will not be giving you any like, a, you know, step by step instructions. I will be talking about elements uh, typical for a particular celebration. And each and every one of you will have to find out on your own how to put these elements together and whether to incorporate some extra stuff, uh, for example, from like a more local tradition or not. Uh, so with summer solstice, which is uh, in modern times typically called Kupawa, uh, you want to celebrate it on or, or around the day of summer solstice. Uh, you want to have a bonfire. You want to dance around this bonfire, perhaps dance while holding torches lit from this bonfire. And if you're feeling particularly brave, you might also want to jump over the bonfire uh, individually or in couples to bring good luck and prosperity for yourself or your relationship. And I've just realized I forgot the basic stuff. <laughs> Sorry for that. Uh, so the, the basic stuff which is the kind of structure of the celebration, which was reconstructed, reconstructed very neatly and basing on very solid evidence. So with the ever present in this podcast disclaimer, warning you that it's a reconstruction, I am quite confident in tell, telling you how every Slavic pagan celebration should really be structured. So uh, the first step in any celebration should be what nowadays might be called cleansing, which is kind of a ritual form of washing or cleaning up in a preparation to the ritual. Uh, if you are lucky enough, as I am, to be a member of a um, Rodnoveri group with an actual Zerca, you so um, 
Slavic pagan priest, you don't have to worry about about the, this part that much because pretty much every Zerca, so every Zerca would use smoke from herbs such as sage, but not only juniper, I think this is how you say juniper or rosemary or wormwood can also be used uh, as well as other herbs. So it's all used to symbolically cleanse every participant of a ritual before the ritual start. Um, also, typically the Zerca will also remind all the participant what the ritual is about, where it come from and what's its purpose. That, of course, if, it's the, if the ritual is uh, led by Zerca, if you're the only Rodnover to participate in a Rodnoveri ritual, you will have to clean yourself up. Uh, I mean, I consider it a good practice to come to any ritual led by Zerca or not in like clean clothes. Uh, actually, I have special clothes like historical dresses and stuff, which I wear only during, uh, during the rituals which not all Rodnovers have, and it's optional, you don't have to wear historical clothes when participating in a, uh, in a ritual, but if you only can take a shower, <laughs> and, uh, which is what I do, uh, also I, I, I always uh, do my best to take time to get myself into the mindset of the of the ritual. So, for example, I will remind myself uh, what is this particular ritual for, how it developed, and what's it, what, what's, what's the, you know, what's the purpose. And that's regardless of whether there is going to be a zerca or not. But you know, having clean clothes and either literally so by taking a shower or symbolically so by smudging. Uh, cleaning yourself up is the first element of the uh, Slavic pagan ritual. Also, sorry, I <laughs> forgot to mention, uh, if you have any offering or sacrifices you want to give during the ritual, you also want to clean, I know, cleanse. I'm really not sure what's the right word here. Purify? Like clean or cleanse to purify them this uh, yeah either literally or symbolically or both uh, but if the ritual is led by zerca the zerca will do it so you don't have to uh, worry about it uh, after the purifying part of the ritual then come the invocations and the prayers and again if you participate in a ritual led by zerca the zerca will do this part uh, so the Zerca will call upon all the appropriate gods. Uh, you will likely have to participate in the shouting Swava or Swava Bogom, which means glory to the gods, uh, or by shouting the, out, out the name of the god upon which uh, the Zerca is calling. Uh, which gods are called upon depends on the ritual and also on the particular tradition followed by the Zerca or the group you are a member of. And if you are the only Rodnover learning the ritual, you really have two options. Uh, either you figure out uh, or decide which gods you want to worship during this particular ritual or which is uh, what I do if I have uh, to perform a ritual by myself. Uh, I just call upon gods without using their names. Uh, so for example, I would call upon the gods of the sky or the gods of the land or uh, the gods of Slavs. Uh, I feel in this way I don't mess up the uncertain parts of the tradition, so the names and domains of gods, which are, as you are hopefully aware, in the most part unknown. 
while preserving the core of the tradition, which is the worship of the forces of nature and the beliefs of my uh, pagan ancestors. Uh, as to prayers which come after invocations to each god, in my experience, the prayers are mostly focused on thanking the gods for their gifts and their blessings. Uh, there is a place for kind of individual prayers which can be said out loud or in silence. I've seen these prayers mostly done over the sacrifices which are later offered to God. So, um, so you know, the Zerza would go around all the people gathered around the circle, gathered in circle around the holy fire, and the people would like put their hands over a particular sacrifice, so like a bread or kowach. Um, kowach is a sweet bread made traditionally for pretty much all Slavic rituals, including weddings. Uh, kowach is uh, round in shape and often decorated. It can look very pretty and is supposed to be um, festive food. It's not like made just because there's always um, an occasion for which kowach is made. Uh, also, also, I forgot uh, the, the, the holy fire I mentioned, the fire around which all the participants of any Slavic ritual, actually not any Slavic ritual, traditionally rituals which are performed for Mokosh only. So for example, Mokoshove, so a day of Mokosh, which is celebrated in August, if if it's celebrated, because not all branches of Rodnoveri have this celebration in in their calendar. So if Mokoshova is celebrated, um, th there is no fire then in this celebration, but all the sacrifices are uh, given directly to the ground. Uh, so the Zerca digs a hole in the ground and all the sacrifices go into the hole. Uh, but other than that, other than Mokoshove, every other Slavic pagan ritual takes place around fire. Uh, this fire is started by either Zerca or by a person designated by the Zerca. The holy fire is started before the ritual and any kind of smoke-based purification rituals like smudging, uh, they are done using the holy fire as the source of, in of ignition. So all the kind of smudging equipment is um, like ignited from the holy fire. Uh, holy fire, it's not, not kind of like the usual bonfire, even though it looks like one, you're really not supposed to be using holy fire to make food. Uh, you cannot really put rubbish into it and you're not supposed to put it out. After the ritual is finished, you have to wait for it to, for the holy fire to go out on its own, which is one of the reasons why pagans ritual typically takes some time because we have to wait around for the holy fire to, to go out. And what I was talking about? Invocations and prayers. Invocations and prayers are the second part of every ritual and after they finish then the offerings are made. So basically you call upon gods first, you say thank you to them, you um, for the blessings and for fulfilling your prayers. Um, you might also pray for that Slavic gods continue to bless you, uh, your family and community. And uh, after that, uh, you give the gods the offerings or the sacrifices you you brought for them. And again, if the ritual is led by Zerca, uh, the Zerca will do that for you. Most of the time, the sacrifices are thrown into the holy fire and allowed to burn fully. But as I said before, during certain celebrations, um, like when, when offerings are made exclusively to Mokosh, uh, these offerings are put in the ground and then covered up with soil, so they get to Mokosh in this way. 
uh, after the sacrifices are given to the gods, then the feast begins. And I cannot stress it enough. The feast is an integral part of the ritual. You are, you cannot skip it. You can't like be on a diet or something. You have to feast. You have to sit down. You have to eat. You have to drink. You are supposed to indulge and eat up all the food brought to the ritual. Uh, so you are supposed to have good time. You're supposed to dance and sing and eat and drink and really go for it and if you don't do that that is being disrespectful to the gods and uh, well the tradition uh, in the rituals i participate in my group typically everyone brings um, something to eat and drink we agree in advance how much roughly food we will need and whether it will have to be like vegan or vegetarian or just like regular food. In the past, when I wasn't participating in a group rituals, when I perform rituals myself, I would do the first three parts of the ritual myself or with my daughter, for example. And then the feasting would be done with a few of my friends. So basically I would like go to the forest on my own or with my daughter. I would start a small fire, do the invocations and the prayers and do, do the sacrifice. The purification I will do before, typically at home before I go to the forest. So uh, purification at home, then the invocations and prayers and then sacrifice in the forest. I would wait around for the holy fire to go out. So for um, like a single person ritual, the holy fire would have to be really small so it can go out faster. Uh, and after the holy fire goes out, I would either go back home and have a feast there, uh, which is actually what's often done even with large groups of uh, with with large group rituals in the winter because sitting for hours in the forest in december uh, or january especially in poland is really not fun so uh, you know people would go back home or to a pub and have a feast there uh, obviously i don't know how your situation looks uh, i mean slavic native faith is growing in popularity but it's still a very niche religion uh, so i guess there would be significant number of uh, solitary practitioners who obviously will have to find some <laughs> company for the feasting because as i say the feast is just compulsory you cannot have a slavic pagan ritual without a feast uh, and i don't know in in some cases it might not be easy to find like willing participants for the feast by in my experience people would happy happily participate in an event where there is food and drinks and we are supposed to have a good time i mean i i tend to be honest about the purpose of the feast when i like you know when i invite someone who I know is not a road novel, I would be clear that, uh, you know, the event is a part of a pagan celebration and uh, that I invite this particular person to help me to celebrate an element of my culture, cultural heritage. And so far, nobody had any problem with that. So I don't know if you live in an area where there are only and exclusively like 100% Orthodox followers of a monotheistic religion who obviously would see a pagan celebration as a blasphemy and sin, then you might have a problem. But uh, again, in my experience, if you try, you can pretty much always find at least a couple of people who are perfectly happy to help you out and participate in a pagan feast uh, so even if you are the only rodnover in the whole entire area do try to find not pagan people to participate in the feast uh, 
because you a, a feast cannot just be done alone it's just not doable um, so the last part of the ritual is any ritual is uh, fortune telling it's not always done <laughs> because in the fervor of the feast and having a good time sometimes people just just forget uh, but the end of the feast is the best time to kind of get some fortune telling done and uh, it's seen uh, i've seen all sorts that don't do any the rituals are tip i participated in uh, you know like i saw reading runes obviously norse runes not slavic runes because uh, slavic runes don't exist of which i talked about in the episode number 18 and i'm not even going to go there today because you know me and fake lore so uh, yeah you, i've also seen uh, i've done it myself as well um like uh telling future from splashes of wax which uh, is actually quite well known slavic uh, divination technique uh in poland it's called uh lanie vosku which translates into pouring of wax you know the a, a candle is melted in a pot and then the the wax is poured on the water uh, and the shape of the wax will tell you the future uh, there are all sorts of slavic divinations uh, technique and uh, if i talked about all of them here we would be stuck stuck here until i don't know tomorrow so i won't and if you're interested in it uh just google something that is called andrzejki um, which is spelled a-n-d-r-z-e-j-k-i uh, again a-n-d-r-z-e-j-k-i uh, which is roughly speaking a polish festival of fortune telling uh, and you will find all sorts of divination techniques there i'm talking far too much today and we haven't even started on the calendar of rituals so um i'm trying to i'm going to try and speed up a little bit um the the summer solstice uh, nowadays most commonly called kupawa but if you following south slavic tradition you might have a different name for it from what i've been told by the ama amazing dushan bozik from luke velesa which is a youtube channel you might want to subscribe to so from what i was told by dushan in south slavic tradition the names of the celebration of summer solstice are related to the bap to john the baptist which is obviously a remnant of christianization of the pagan tradition the names uh, are ivandan or ivandje i hope i pronounce it right and there's also more slavic name uh kres um summer regardless of of the kind of particular tra slavic tradition summer solstice has bonfires have jumping over bonfires uh, dancing with fires uh, swimming in open water often skinny dipping as well as reeds made from flowers and herbs uh, it's agreed widely that uh, uh, the celebration of summer solstice is a celebration of of uh, life fertility love romantic relationship and there is a strong element of future telling of which i talked about in the episode number six of searching for the slavic soul uh, one of the less acknowledged in modern times reasons for summer solstice uh, to be the celebration of fertility is the fact that given the historical information about life in early medieval times it is very likely that around this time women uh, biological women with functioning ovaries and uterus uh, they were at their more most fertile uh, we've got to remember that pre-christian slavic pagans they lived in a mixed 
maritime and continental climate of the North Europe, which is characterized by substantial temperature swings, and that's causing frost and drought. Uh, also with limited food production because there was no machines uh, or modern fertilizers and everything had to be done uh, by humans, uh, mostly with a little help from oxen or horses. Uh, so food was not as easily accessible as it is nowadays and food shortages were actually very common. Uh, it is estimated that back in those days, Every few years, there was some form of a natural disaster, like a drought or flood or particularly harsh winter. And that would cause significant mortality, um, which kind of, uh, with the wars of epidemics ongoing as well, that was the main limiting factor in the growth of human population, not only on the lands of Slavs, but, um, uh, but for you know, in the whole humanity of the pre-industrial times. So, uh, you know, if on a given year the winter was particularly harsh or the harvest was particularly bad the year before, there, there was severe food shortages through the winter. And if there is not enough food, as you might or might not know, fertile women will stop ovulating and will be become temporarily infertile. The ovulation, the fertility will come back when the food intake increases, like, for example, throughout the spring. Uh, so it is quite possible uh, that at least in some years, uh, women in reproductive age would only get their fertility back kind of, you know, around the time of summer solstice. As far as gods to which invocations and praying is done during the celebration of the summer solstice, is mostly the gods related to the, the sun, fire, water, and fertility. So you have uh, Svarog, Dajbuk, Mokosh, Rodzanice, and Rod, and um, but to be perfectly honest, I've participated in celebration where pretty much all the known Slavic gods were addressed, including Velesi and Majanna, which, uh, quite frankly, I wasn't sure what to think of, but these were the celebrations led by Zerca, so I guess I just went with it. Uh, for winter solstice, which is also they celebrated in the whole Slavdom, the, the Polish name is most frequently, the Polish name of this celebration is most frequently Szczodre Gody, which uh, translate roughly to abundant or generous celebrations. But more pan-Slavic name is Kolyada, Kolenda, Kolenda, uh, or versions of it. And the Kolyada name refers to, um, to a tradition of kolendowanie, uh, which is Polish name, but there is an equivalent of this name in pretty much every single Slavic uh, language. So uh, kolendowanie, it's, uh, it's when children and young people, they walk around the neighborhood, uh, uh, they are dressed up as various um, we can call it demonic creatures, and they are singing songs, they are dancing, often they perform short plays, uh, um, and generally they are having good time. Uh, traditionally, kolendowanie is believed to be giving good luck and good fortune to the households, as well as chasing away any malevolent spirits that could be lurking in the dark. Uh, obviously, the households who did not receive the um, Kolyada performers, they would have bad luck. Um, the characters that the Kolyada performers are dressed up as, they have clear pagan roots. Um, I mean, they are because of Christianization, uh, like angels and devils, and uh, often the three kings, you know, the ones that... Um, 
according to Bible bros, gifts to Jesus Christ when he was born, because obviously Koliada as the celebration of the winter solstice was incorporated into Christian tradition of uh, Christmas. But a part of the angel and the devil and the kings, uh, there's pretty much always a character called Turoń. Uh, in Polish it's called Turoń. But there is a character like that pretty much everywhere. Uh, in every single Slavic tradition, uh, Turon is a name related to Tur, which is a Polish name for Oroch. Oroch, I hope this is how you pronounce it. It's like an, an extinct species of wild cattle. Uh, because of the presence of Turon or other cattle resembling character with horns, it is agreed that the primary god worshipped during the winter solstice was Veles or, you know, equivalent. So like the underground ktonic uh, god. Uh, so typically during the invocation and prayer part of the ritual, Veles would be called upon because of that. There is also a very strong element of ancestral veneration during the celebration of the winter solstice. In Slavic tradition, there's pretty much always a big family dinner with at least one place left empty. Uh, nowadays, it's said that the place is left for a guest, but pretty much every scholar and practitioner of Slavic tradition agrees that originally the place was left for the ancestors who were invited for the dinner. Uh, there is uh, also a lot of straw and hay elements incorporated into the decoration and costumes made for Koliada, which is another indicator of the ancestral veneration and uh, connecting to the world of the dead or to Navia. Uh, as you hopefully all know, uh, straw or hay are dry stalks and leaves of cereal plants like wheat or rye. And, uh, and if you Look at it! It looks dead, but it has seeds in it, so it's kind of alive at the same time. So because of that, it's pretty much agreed by all cultural anthropologists that straw and hay it's a, is an element symbolizing the connection between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Um, a typical element of Koliada or Szczodregody uh, celebration would be something that is called Jad or Diduch, uh, which, by the way, is another indication of the ancestral veneration aspect of the winter, of the celebrations of uh, winter solstice, uh, because Jad is pretty much pan-Slavic name for an ancestor or an old person. Uh, so, uh, so the Jad for Szczodregody is made from uh, most commonly from the first bundle of harvested wheat or rye. Uh, it's kept at home, it's decorated and it's present in the room uh, during the festive dinner and then it's kept through the whole winter. And depending on the tradition, uh, the it's either burned in the spring or is used to like sow the fields in the spring. Uh, if you are a single practitioner, winter solstice might be a difficult one for you uh, to celebrate mostly because of the element of koliada, so the singing and dancing and, you know, performing. I mean, if you're not shy, uh, you can just go out and sing or dance on the streets, but not everyone is confident enough to do that. Uh, I'd say, you know, if you have access to some woodland area, you can absolutely go out in the forest at night, obviously making sure it's safe first um, to like make some noises uh, to at least try and chase away some malevolent spirits. Then you could like have a short ritual addressing Veles and your ancestors and after that like have a family dinner. Uh, so family, like either you biological or spiritual family dinner with at least one place 
left empty for your ancestors. Um, another aspect of winter solstice celebration is, I think, the uh, aspect related to much harsher reality of uh, if we of you know in which our medieval ancestors had to live around Koliada time. All the harvest will be collected. Uh, all the food will be preserved for winter and our ancestors celebrating the winter solstice they would pretty much know whether they have had enough food to make it through the winter or not and if they didn't have enough food the Koliada dinner was a very difficult one because they would sit around the table knowing knowing that some of them won't make it to the spring like literally knowing that some of them would starve to death and that must have been i don't even know what adjective to use hard tough just you know totally unimaginable for us the modern people who get ptsd after seeing a dead body let alone spending time in a company of uh, well let's call it what it was a dead person walking and celebrating with us at the table i have to admit i do think a lot about the state of mind and experiences of the medieval people i try to imagine how life looked in the times of my medieval ancestors and that I think allows me to get an extra insight uh, into the celebration I am participating in um, extra layer of appreciation of the strength uh, resolve or my ancestors but also an extra layer of being grateful for what I have uh, thanks to the sacrifice of my, my ancestors uh, because everything that we have nowadays all the luxuries like you know efficient food production or central heating or plumbing you know medical care it's all been achieved by the generations of people who lived before our times and i am forever grateful for that so yeah that's the solstices so now let's talk very quickly about the equinoxes uh, they are celebrated in the slavic tradition too like two like t-o-o -O, as in also uh, not as two like t-w-o the number two because obviously there are only two equinoxes so nobody can celebrate more than two uh the the spring one the spring equinox the one of two equinoxes is i think most famous and actually still a life tradition uh, because up to this very day in for example poland every spring an effigy of majanna is made paraded around the fields then burned and thrown into a body of water which most often is a river but a small small paddle can also be used as well um, there is a lot of different opinions about the symbolism of uh, the majanna's burning and drowning uh, some are of an opinion that it's actually like killing of a goddess performed to end the winter some think it's a remnant of a human sacrifices made to slavic gods i personally am in favor of a theory that the burning and drowning of majanna effigy is a form of funeral rites performed on a representation of the body of uh, the goddess of winter but again it's just my opinion there is not and there will most likely never be any solid evidence to tell for sure which of these interpretations is correct if any uh, the burning and drowning of majanna's effigy is uh, the most known ritual 
the most known ritual celebrating the spring equinox, but is by no means pan-Slavic ritual, a pan-Slavic ritual. I mean, it's likely it was a pan-Slavic ritual, but because of Christianization, the timing of the burning changes. So, for example, in Eastern Slavic tradition, an effigy of, uh, as it's called, Lady Maslenica, it's burned during the last week before the Great Lent, uh, which the Great Lent, depending on the timing of Easter, it starts either in February or in the early March. So the whole thing is taking place well before the uh, spring equinox. Uh, one tradition that is often mentioned as a part of celebration of the spring equinox is walking with a copse, so with a branch or a whole like little tree decorated with ribbons and other ornaments. Uh, as far as I understand, this is considered to be a separate ritual performed in May and known uh, to me as Gaik or Maik. As far as I, I understand, due to Christianization, it was fused with the spring equinox celebration. However, saying that, if your local tradition is to have the walking of the cops joined with or done instead of burning of Majanna's effigy, I'd say to stick to your local tradition, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, there is a very little that we can say for sure about the original pagan rituals. So if you have one that your family and ancestors have been doing for like generations, just do that and ignore the scholars. Um, the one aspect of the celebration of the spring equinox is the, is a, well, spring cleaning, uh, let's call it this way, uh, a spring cleaning element of it. So, as I said before, cleaning, cleansing, or purifying, or however you call it, is the first step of any Slavic pagan ritual. But in the spring, it seems to be taken to like the next level. Uh, because not only the participants of the ritual, not only the sacrifices uh, or offerings uh, have to be purified, but also the whole households need cleaning before this ritual. For example, the effigy of Majanna the, that is burned in the ritual is traditionally made from old clothes, so clothes that you will normally throw away during spring cleaning. There is uh, also an element of uh, chasing away or throwing away any uh, malevolent demons from the household, which is done during the spring cleaning. Uh, so if you talk to a Zerca, they will often use brooms made from um, fresh willow, like twigs, to do the symbolic cleaning. Um, so if you are a solitary practitioner and you want to celebrate the spring, spring equinox, I'd say a few days or weeks before the ritual starts with sp spring cleaning and identify items of clothing you want to use to make Majanna, uh, the effigy of Majanna. Uh, on the day of the celebration, get a few willow twigs and symbolically sweep around your house, telling all the malevolent spirits to just get out and then uh, take you Majanna effigy to a place where you can burn it and whatever did not burn, just put it in a body of water, which doesn't have to be a river. It can as well be just a puddle. Um, you want to do your invocation and prayers before you burn the effigy and for feast and uh, entertainment during feast, uh, make sure you decorate some eggs uh, because of which I forgot to mention. Pisanki, so decorated eggs are also a part of celebration of the coming of spring uh, in Slavic tradition. 
fortune telling wise it's a particularly good time to pay attention to birds particularly migrating birds which uh, behavior or songs were commonly considered omens in the slavic tradition uh, i might actually one day do an episode about it uh, because it's a super interesting topic you know the fortune telling uh, but uh, because it's an interesting one <laughs> It'll be also a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to shut up now because I am already talking longer than I planned. So uh, sorry for that. I I know the length of the episodes is a problem for some of you. Uh, So I I, I try to keep it concise, but clearly it doesn't always work. Uh, But uh, back to the topic, uh, the, the other equinox is the autumn equinox uh, is the last ritual i wanted to talk about today it's obviously in autumn in fall in the fall uh, when traditionally plonus so harvest is celebrated uh, the autumn equinox is kind of a no-brainer really it's all about harvest for our ancestors it was the literal harvest being collected from the fields at this time of the year for modern rodnovers it's more often about like metaphorical harvest so uh, all the things that we get as a direct result of our efforts uh, however in the group i am a member of we do try to bring along along some literal harvest tool uh, this year for example we did very very well uh, we had uh, homegrown carrots, uh, radishes, uh, tomatoes, tomatoes, <laughs> apples, and I think uh, peas or beans, I'm not sure which one it was. Um, of course, because the autumn equinox is about harvest, it might be a good idea to plan it, plan for it well in advance. Uh, for example, I start planting my stuff on balcony in March or April with a view of, uh, of having some harvest for the autumn. But the, uh, the figurative harvest is very important too. And if there is anything you achieved by hard work and effort, the autumn equinox celebration is the time when you want to thank God's for that thank them for any help they gave you to to achieve the success you've achieved uh, a big and i mean like a really big ass collage is the staple of the plony so the harvest celebration it's such an important part because it's one of the very very few elements that is actually mentioned of the elements of Slavic tradition and Slavic religious tradition that is actually mentioned in the written historical sources, where the celebration of harvest in the temple of Świętowit in Arcona is described in a a lot of details. Uh, In Arcona, the kołach was supposed to be as big as a grown-up human. And, you know, in some mainstream, like Christian, not pagan celebrations of harvest, there are big kołaches like that. Uh, but I have not heard of a um, kołach made by Rognovers uh, for an actual pagan celebration. Um, a kołach, I haven't heard of a like pagan kołach, modern pagan kołach that was so big. A human could try and hide behind it. But saying that, we do try. The the kołach made for harvest is always an extra good one, extra special one. It's made with super fine ingredients. It's decorated beautifully. And, you know, Rodnovers really put effort in it. And so should you. If you are a solitary practitioner, you should try and get uh, make a super extra special kołach. Another thing that you should also uh, try to get is uh, mead uh, for drinking during harvest celebration. I mean, I know, mead, so an alcoholic drink made from honey, might not be easy to come by in some countries or regions, but, you know, 
it can be done uh, so really do try to get at least one bottle for the celebration of the autumn equinox because as coach drinking mead during uh, harvest celebration is mentioned in chronicles too so uh, so that's an important one uh, as far as invocations and prayers you most certainly want to address gods related to abundance fertility and giving life but but which one you will call upon actually really depends on the nature of your harvest as well as the tradition you're following because if your harvest is mostly of like artistic nature particularly related to storytelling or poetry you actually want to call upon Veles, who is commonly interpreted as the uh, ruler of the domain of the arts and uh, secret knowledge uh, if you want to go like western sclavic exclusively your best bet is Świętowit, of which uh, we know for sure that he was involved in the celebration of harvest among Polabian slavs so um you know who you will address your invocations and prayers to in the time of harvest is up to you and uh, that's pretty much all i wanted to say today i do apologize for st struggling to stay on topic i keep trying but it's just bloody digressions are like weeds uh, i do hope all of this including the digressions will be helpful and in planning your practice of slavic native faith and if not helpful at least hopefully it will be somehow somewhat informative uh, i mean the four celebrations described just described they not the only ones celebrated by modern rondovers but they are the like most basic and universal ones so as far as i'm concerned if you manage to incorporate these four rituals in your practice it's just all good um next time i am planning to talk about the recurring yearly celebrations that are not related to the solar cycle so uh, hopefully if you if i haven't bored you <laughs> today i won't bore you then uh, as always do get in touch if you have anything positive negative or anything else to say to us and for now take care and suava hey.